Hi, and welcome to Failurology, a podcast about engineering failures. I'm your host, Nicole. And I'm Brian, and we're both from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Welcome to our 14th mini failure episode. We're bringing you engineering failures in bite-sized pieces. Make no mistake, these are still significant failures, but they either have really straightforward causes or some of them are really old and there's just not enough information that we were able to dig up for a full episode. And we don't have a telegraph service, so we couldn't get information that way. I also can't read Morse code. Maybe Google can translate for me. Oh, maybe. These episodes are also just the failure, no news, and no ads, for now at least. It's like failureology light. This week's mini failure is about the Boston molasses flood. And it's not as slow moving as what you think it will be. (laughs) Yeah, this is terrifying. The flood and this episode. Yeah, also known as the Great Molasses Flood. This is also an old one. This happened on January 15th, 1919 at approximately 12.30 p.m. in the North End neighborhood of Boston. The flood started at the Purity Distilling Company at 529 Commercial Street, which is now a park. I always Google map the addresses of these failures to see what they look like now. I think it's so interesting. The distilling company, you know, this was over 100 years ago and it is it is no more and this area is now a park. Oh, I wonder if they have a plaque in the park that like commemorates this. Yeah, I am uh, planning to go to Boston at some point in the next little bit. When I go to Boston, I'm going to check out this park. Please do and take lots of pictures. This distilling company fermented molasses into ethanol and made alcoholic beverages and munitions. The tank had a storage capacity to offload molasses from ships and then transferred later by pipeline to Purity's ethanol plant about three and a half kilometers away in the Wellington-Harrington district. This is wild to me that they have a pipeline for molasses. It's so cool. Water pipeline, sewage pipeline, stormwater, oil, natural gas. All those make sense for a pipeline. I mean, even the beer pipeline made sense to me. But molasses, like, this might be the only molasses pipeline in the world. I don't think so. Maybe now. But surely there's other companies that have it. I'm sure molasses manufacturers that exist today have pipelines within their facility. This may be the only exterior. I consider those more just piping, though. I wouldn't... Yeah, that would just be piping. That wouldn't be a pipeline. Like, to me, a pipeline transports stuff from, you know, two very far apart places. If it's just within your own facility, it's just piping. Either way, a three and a half kilometer long molasses pipeline. Like, that's not a short pipeline. Like, that's not going to the building next door. Like, they're they're trucking this thing. Like, it's, it's going some distance. Like, two miles of pipeline full of molasses. Yeah. So at the time of the failure, the tank had only been filled to capacity eight times since it was constructed. Basically brand new. Yeah. And and so this accident occurred shortly before Prohibition, and it was believed that Purity Distilling Company was trying to sell as much alcohol as possible before Prohibition set in. Totally understand why they're why they're doing that. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I haven't really put much thought into what it would be like to live in Prohibition times, but I imagine, you know, at the time you wouldn't know when it's going to end. It's not it's not like they're like Prohibition's going to be there for four years and then at that point it'll be done. You don't know when the end date is. So you're just trying to sell as much as you can or if, you know, if you're just an individual, you're probably collecting as much as you can so that you have alcohol to drink in secrecy during Prohibition times. You don't know what that's going to look like. Wasn't there a company that uh, I believe they had bricks of grapes and they had instructions for how not to or what not to do 
to make sure it didn't turn into alcohol. Like you shouldn't place it in your cupboard in a dark place. And it was basically how to make alcohol in this package, but they phrased it in a way where they're like, don't do this. Otherwise it will turn into alcohol. <laughs> That's funny. I've never heard of that. I also think prohibition was just in the US, right? I don't think Canada had prohibition. I'm very old. I wasn't around during prohibition, so I'm not actually sure. I think it was just a U.S. thing. Yeah. Oh, no, it was a U.S. thing because Al Capone had a large operation in Moose Jaw that used the tunnels in Moose Jaw. Yes, yes. You, I mean, you would have mutiny on your hands if you tried to take alcohol away from Canadians. I don't think that would go very well. It would not go well. Like Just like Wisconsin and the States, we don't have a lot to do during the winter besides drink. Yeah, and make snow angels. And watch hockey. And curling. Cur- curling is big. Do you curl, Nicole? I don't, but it's really big. Like, it's a whole thing, especially in Saskatchewan. It's very popular. Well, it's popular, I feel like, across Canada. Like, there's every year, I think every year, every couple of years, there's the Briar and there's provincial teams. And, like, curling is a big thing, especially even if you're not into curling as a young person, you suddenly turn 50 and you're all about curling. Yeah, it's it's an interesting sport. I've played before, but I wouldn't say, I don't know, it's a little bit... Um, too slow paced for me, I think. Give it a few years and you'll be really into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm working my way up to it. So we know that this vat, this vessel that was contained all the molasses, it broke leading to this great molasses flood. And the cause of this failure was a cylinder stress failure. So the tank itself could contain 8.7 million liters of molasses. And that molasses weighed about 12,000 tons. So this is not a small amount of molasses by any stretch of the imagination. The tank is 15 meters tall at 27 meters in diameter. Just to put that in perspective, a story in your house or, a, or an apartment building is, is I believe, two and a half, three meters, Nicole? Yeah, three meters. So this tank is, is five stories tall. Like, there's apartment buildings in, in most cities that are shorter than this tank and it is full of molasses like 27 meters in diameter like that's that's also not a not a short distance yeah yeah so this is a five-story apartment building that is full of molasses and it's 1919 so the we'll say the design and the construction methods are questionable at best yeah and, and we've seen this in a number of episodes that we've covered here steel manufacturing kind of material science it isn't where it is at today and the brittleness of steel has led to a number of engineering failures this one isn't much different so the tank was poorly constructed they didn't really test it sufficiently and this is the part that i i think is is fairly strange in this whole testing part they didn't even try filling it with water to check for leaks i mean that's a it's a very common thing to do for testing any sort of vessel or testing pipelines or just really testing anything that you made you you hydrostatic test it you fill it with water or you know a mixture of water and glycol and then you pressure it up and you see if it leaks like that's that's essentially no cost and yeah you can see if you see if it's going to leak and analyze it the other thing too is i mean this tank was offloading molasses from ships so it's it's right on the water there's there's really no excuse for not doing a water test on this tank and you don't, I mean, you don't even really need to pressurize it. You really just need to fill it with water, let it sit for a few hours, see if there's any leaks, and then drain the water. Yeah, I, I worked in projects where it wasn't anywhere close to a body of water. So we either had to truck in water or made containment areas for water. So when there's water right there within rock throwing distance, that's 
that's a poor excuse for not using water to test this. Yeah. The previous day, there was a ship that had delivered molasses, and the molasses had been warmed a little bit to make it more viscous for transfer, which makes sense. We've all used molasses. It's not exactly the, the fastest flowing substance. I think it's also important to mention that the molasses temperature had raised from minus 17 to 5 degrees Celsius in a short period of time. So there is a little bit of, you know... Along with improved viscosity, there's also some expansion that comes along with that type of temperature change. And the working theory is that the new warmer molasses may have heated and expanded the colder molasses that was already inside the tank. And at 12.30 p.m., the tank burst open. The failure occurred from a manhole cover near the tank base and then grew until complete failure. I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming this manhole cover uh, near the base of the tank obviously is in a bad spot for filling. I'm guessing it's used for cleaning or getting people inside of the empty tank to inspect it, assuming they may have done inspections at this time. I guess they probably didn't. The rivets were also flawed where the steel plates met and cracks had formed at the rivet holes. So at 1230, witnesses heard a roar, the ground shook, and then there was a long rumble. Others heard a thunderclap type crash. The molasses was about 40% more dense than water and had a great deal of potential energy. The wave of molasses was 8 meters high. That's three stories. At its peak, and it moved through the streets at 56 kilometers per hour. It's like a house going down the street at 56 kilometers an hour. Like It would get a speeding ticket going through a playground zone. <laughs> yes, which... For those of you not in Alberta, playground zones are 30 kilometers per hour. Yeah, it's a, it's like a triple-decker bus moving at, you know, city speeds, a little bit faster than city speeds, commuter roads. And it's a wall of it. It's a wall of molasses. But it smelled pretty good. The wave was so strong, it pushed the tank into the elevated railway structure and almost knocked a streetcar off its tracks. Several blocks around the distillery were flooded to 60 to 90 centimeters of molasses and buildings were knocked off their foundation or crushed. So this is, I, I mean, I don't know what type of construction existed in 1919. So I, some houses may have just been sitting on their foundation without being secured. I'm just going to throw that possibility out there. But this is still a significant enough wave with enough energy that it knocks those buildings off of their foundation, which... I mean, like, it, it moves a streetcar. So whether your building foundation or your house is secured to your foundation, it's still moving a streetcar. Like, those things are not exactly light. As a result of this, 21 people died, 150 people were injured, and residents claimed for decades that the area smelled like molasses on a hot summer day. A class action lawsuit was brought against the owner, and it was the first of its kind in Massachusetts and is said to have paved the way for modern corporate regulation. So some benefit did come out of this, I guess. The owner paid out $628,000 in damages, which is equivalent to about $9.37 in today's dollars. Which isn't really that much when you think about all of the damage that occurred. I would say if this were to happen now you'd be looking at closer to a billion dollars. Well, at least hundreds of millions. I'd go, with I'd go with hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm actually not sure how they removed all the molasses. Like it, It's not exactly easy to pick up. I mean, it's not like water where you can just suction it. It's not like dirt where you can just scoop it up. So it, would, it would, probably would have taken quite a while to remove all the molasses. 
Yeah, I would guess some of the molasses was removed with by adding water and diluting it so that it moved a little bit quicker and then trying to drain it somehow. Or maybe you sweep it or scoop it into wheelbarrows. I don't really know. One thing I do know, this one is a popular one and many groups have investigated this failure since it occurred. One group found that the steel walls of the tank were only about half as thick as they should have been and that the steel lacked manganese and was more brittle as a result. So again, you know, 1919, there's a lot of unknowns. A lot of early engineering failures aren't necessarily due to a lack of ethics or design mistakes, although there are a few design mistake ones as well. A lot of them are just based on things we didn't know yet. So we didn't know a lot about steel and how it reacted. I think there was probably a time where steel was steel. And you didn't know what it was made of and you didn't know how the different components in steel make it more brittle or more malleable or stronger or weaker. You just didn't know those things. There was no real way to test them. And so we've we've definitely come a long way since then. One of the examples that sticks out for me specifically is the Titanic that we did in episode 11. Again, they didn't know a lot about the steel or the rivets and how they were connecting the steel plates together. And the steel, when you combined the loading and the cold temperature of the journey across the Atlantic, the steel was actually quite brittle, which they didn't realize. And so when it hit the iceberg, you know, had it not been so brittle, yeah, it would have scraped it and maybe it would have put some minor holes in it, but it wouldn't have ripped it open like a tin can like it did. So I think while this, I guess you could say, could have been preventable, they should have water tested it for sure. There's still a lot of unknowns here that that led to this failure. Uh, student researchers at Harvard also concluded that the high-speed flood claims from witnesses were credible, which I imagine them trying to recreate this molasses flood and just seeing how the molasses moves through the streets and comparing that to the claims that they heard, which... I would love to see occur in real life in a safe environment, in a protected environment. But I still think that would be really cool to test in a lab. Yeah, I think they probably have to scale it down. I I can't see how you'd be like, we're going to build a five-story tank, fill it with molasses, and the material we make the tank of is going to be not that great. But we need to figure out if it could actually go 56 kilometers an hour. Yeah, they probably have to scale it down and do a bunch of modeling. But that would be a super fun project. I don't know if you could use it for like a, a capstone project for the end of your degree. But that would be a really, really neat lab to do. Brian, should we do that? We can get molasses at the grocery store. Oh, we could do that. We could totally do that. We definitely could do that. Stay tuned. We'll we'll give it some thought. Many laws and regulations were added as a result of this accident, such as requirements for architects and civil engineers to oversee these types of, of construction. I wanted to mention back in 1919 or early 1900s, There wasn't always a requirement for regulated professional engineers to oversee the design and construction of certain projects. That was a big thing that came out of the Quebec Bridge collapse that occurred in 1907 and 1911. We covered that failure in episode six. That failure sparked a lot of the engineering regulation bodies that we have today, which I think is really interesting, but also really, really important. Also, fun fact, Boston has duck boats, which are those amphibious vessels that can drive on streets and then also in the water. And they have one that they named Molly Molasses in remembrance of this event. 
So there you have it, the Boston Molasses Flood. A wave of molasses flooded the streets of North End in Boston and took everything in its path. Like all of the failures we've covered, lessons were learned and new regulations were added to prevent this type of incident from happening again. Thanks for listening to this mini failure episode. For our regular episodes, check out Failureology wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to chat with us, our Twitter handle is at Failureology. You can email us at thefailureologypodcast at gmail.com. You can connect with us on LinkedIn, or you can message us right in the Patreon app. There are links to all of these in the show notes. Bye, everyone. Talk soon.